welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. My name is Sean and I am joined by a panel of industry leaders to discuss an intriguing topic. Today's topic is designing exceptional user experiences, insights from UXUI leaders. Before we delve deeper into this, let's work our way around the room and make some general introductions. Rasmus, do you want to kick us off? Yes, yeah, sure. Thanks, Sean. I'm Rasmus Lenpain. I'm the head of UX and design at Beamakers, where we, we help ambitious alcohol brands scale internationally, just to put that very briefly. Uh, on a more person, personal level, I'm a, I'm a classically trained interaction designer um, from before anyone knew what that even was, even me, I think. I've spent most of my career in, in startups. I'm 43, I have two kids in Diffie and Copenhagen. And uh, happy to be here on the podcast and some sharp minds in the room. So I um, hope to learn a great deal today. Thank you very much, Rasmus. And for yourself, Casper. Yes, I'm Casper Andresen, and I am a product design lead in Planting. I've been there for two and a half years now. Um, before that, I've been uh, working with uh, Value, so pension and, and insurance, for um, c- quite some time. Um, and before that, I was a consultant in a company called Social Square, where I had the, the pleasure to kind of like form my my profile and and work with uh, brands like ActionAid Denmark and the National Museum and uh, Ida, like the the Danish Engineering Association. So quite experience uh, I got from that and and kind of like put my foundation to where I'm at today. Uh, I am twin. Or how old I am? I am uh, 32 and I have a wife and two kids um, and uh, my my study background is as a digital concept developer. Thank you very much, Rasmus. And for yourself, Torbjörn? I have to unmute myself. So uh, my name is Torbjörn and just like uh, Rasmus actually, I'm a digital interaction designer from the Danish School of Design many years ago. Um, so I'm working in a company called Keepit where we do cloud-to-cloud backup. Uh, and I've been here for, I think, 12 years or something like that. I've been doing all sorts of things. Uh, uh, and now I'm head of UX and product design here. And product design is really my passion. Uh, in my spare time, I make games. So I get up in the morning at 5 o'clock and then I make games before I go to work because I really just love design. Then I also have my own podcast, which is called Hidden by Design. Um, uh, which is brings me to my age. So I'm a man, midlife crisis, kind of, you know, 47. Uh, so, and I didn't buy a bike. I started a podcast like all other men my age. So uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my life. I have three kids and a uh, wife that I've been with for 30 years. And uh, our kids are now moving away from home and stuff. It's like really anxiety provoking. <laughs> so I guess that's a little bit about me. Well, yeah. Thank you, Thorbjorn. And you can't see everyone in the call here because we're all on mute and you can't hear the laughing, but you can see everyone giggling in the background to all of that. And then last but not least, Jan Ulrich. My name is Jan Ulrich and I have a background in marketing and communications. Um, and I spent the early part of my career working within this field, specifically doing uh, a lot of marketing strategy and design. Uh, the past couple of years I've spent in uh, the banking sector uh, as a manager in, in um, anti-money laundering uh, until about two years ago when I joined Capacit during its early inception. Uh, Capacit is a consultancy that is primarily focused on AI solutions for a variety of companies. Um, and I work as the head of UI and UX here. I have a wife and three kids, and today is actually my wife and I's 15th uh, anniversary. You're in trouble now, man. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, to further Thorbjorn's point there, happy anniversary, Jan Ulrich. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. 
If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So to kick us off, we've got Rasmus. Would you like to introduce your question and give us a bit of context behind where it comes from? Yes, thank you so much. So, so what I brought today is, uh, yeah, one of my pet peeves, really. But so I'll try to phrase it here. So, considering the the limitations of operational aspects, so basically stuff outside your control, to what extent can a can a perfectly designed user experience compensate for those limitations and and by that enhance sort of the overall customer satisfaction? Um, and I have a, a little context here story. So, so at one point I had to do a, a service for the Finnish state, basically allowing ministries to to manage their bank accounts. So, a service for the state that needs to open and close hundreds of accounts during a year. So we made a product that helped them get an overview of what's going on, anything they need to act on, etc. So classic stuff. When doing the user interviews, though. Um, it was pretty clear that we weren't solving or even approaching the biggest pain point that the customers they weren't satisfied with the speed and opening the speed of opening and closing these accounts. So what I'm sort of curious about is like to what extent can can design elevate the experience for this user because we're basically sort of operating around the the, the core problem. Um, and this is of course just just my example, but but basically you know, how much can design do and how much should design do in this uh, in this context um does it make sense makes perfect sense do you want to kick us off with your opinion casper yeah i think i think it's interesting to also with your example like saying like you actually identified there was a bigger fish to 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 fry so to speak um because that's maybe also a tendency that i see uh, well in the places i've been working like we actually identify another problem uh, than the one we actually we already solved with a feature or something like that, and then we try to improve that feature instead of maybe yeah uh, I don't know what to call that in English, but like focusing on like the the root of the problem. It's 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 often like um, uh, symptom symptom uh, solving that we that we look into, but but in terms of of like. If we look at something like uh, legacy, like tech debt, design debt, uh, maybe also like legal and compliance and stuff like that, what we do, at least in, in when I work, we, we we tend to to sit in the trio. We we are we have trios in, inside Planet where I work today. So we have um, uh, business and, and tech and design uh, represented in each each team, and then we we uh, we look at it from like an impact effort. Uh, point of view. So when identifying uh, what to work on, and then then we kind of like have the the um, the limitations into into play when looking into into this matrix, right? So so if there's a big limitation, of course, there's a lot more effort that we have to put into it in terms of uh, delivering the, this the 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 experience we want. Um, and then it's simply to 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 put it up against each other, like the different solutions. Um, and, and make a decision from from there, and then sometimes in in the end, like if if you end up having having like um, all of the possible solutions to end up in a in a, a, a high effort low high effort but also high impact uh, point of view, then it's maybe time to kind of like start over and say okay we cannot we cannot build upon this or we cannot save this it's too old technology it's too there's been too many bad decisions in the past. Then we have to start over. Um, yeah, in order. Perfect. But uh, Rasmus, if I understand your your question correctly, I suppose uh, a core support unit would would also be a great example of, of of operations that can be outside of your your control, right? So we all know, we all know the pain of 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 calling into you know uh, a bank. Uh, now I come from the banking industry, so and so. I'll use that as an example, and there's nothing worse than sitting there listening to the waiting music for 15 minutes uh, just to get an answer to a, a simple question, one that might be, you know, alleviated uh, if if the bank focuses more on enhanced self-service, uh, designing uh, net banks uh, in a way that information is easily accessible, um, that you can check it on the fly. Uh, 
um, stuff like that. I, I, I'm thinking that's that's um, another great example of, of exactly what you're describing in your question. There you go. Sorbion, what do you think? Oh, <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so actually, I think Gaspar had some really interesting points about, you know, value and, and how, how you know, you, you get to that the point. Of, it's like well, when I was reading this and thinking about, you know, how do I approach this um, in my current position, I think I've been fortunate enough for me to work with an engineering team and it's like as as a design team we try to really work uh, towards uh, having that close integration because i think the first kind of way of of approaching this is that in my opinion uh, design and these t- technical limitation that or you know uh, operational aspects that that comes into play is you have to work together to minimize that or understand each other worlds at least uh, and it just it really uh, uh, my design team will hate me now because they have heard this story so many times but actually on my first day on design school many many years ago there was like the one of the teachers stood up and told a story that really made an impact and i think it kind of covers or it it kind of gets around this uh, aspect of because we're all talking about like all the three of us uh, were talking like all four of us actually now was talking about the aspect of time which is one of the biggest I would say uh, you know aspects is so like typically in my head I'll I'll split um, time into two categories like one is physical time and then the other one is perceived time and perceived time is what happens to children on Christmas Eve right um there there we kind of have a different aspect and the story you told was i'll make it very short just don't worry <laughs> but the story was that uh, there was a company who had an elevator that was really really slow right so people were complaining they were getting to work and they just like it took ages and so it was really really slow so they hired an engineer and a designer to actually fix that problem so they go in they look at the elevator and they can't so like if they make the engine bigger it's going to cost a lot of money it's also going to take a lot of time and it is going to feel wrong and and weird so long story short in the end they came up with the solution which was install a mirror in the elevator and after they installed the mirror in the elevator all of the complaints went away because now the trip because it's like great entertainment i can watch myself every human loves that uh, i it's like i see my children we have a mirror in our hallway they will they, when they were smaller they would go to put their socks on and they would not get past the mirror they would be standing and making faces in the mirror instead and so you know uh, adult people do that when they're alone as well uh, i think i hope I'm not the only one, maybe. <laughs> um, so I think it's like, and for me, that is, it's like if 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 engineering can't support uh, the user experience part of it, then you know the user experience part of it can support the engineering. And I think ultimately, um, it's like mm, to answer your question is it's like how how do we kind of uh, enhance the overall customer satisfaction. I think understanding also to Casper and Ulrich's point, understanding the technical limitation and the perception that the user have of that, because obviously time is just one of them, is is the key to actually enhance that experience. Because sometimes you can approach things from a technical perspective in a different way. And Jan Ulrich, just you know, a quick note, there is something worse than 15 minutes waiting time. That's 16 minutes waiting time. <laughs> this is true. Absolutely true. And bad music, like really bad music. I really hate with a vengeance the music that's, that, that, that's made. Sorry. Now, thank you. That was my answer. Thank you for your input there, Thorbjorn. Do you have something else to add to that, Jan Ulrich? Uh, just a reflection that the funny thing is that the music was probably added as part of improving the user experience. <laughs> we all know how that went. <laughs> I was just about to say the same there, that the music is, I can even chip in on this with minimal design knowledge that that's not a good design. I can see someone with better design knowledge. Rasmus, you've got something you'd like to come in with there. 
Yeah, no, I think it, it's it's really really interesting because obviously this is this is this is something that has been on my mind also you know coming up to this 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 podcast and and that's actually you know that's a great thing right when I'm actually learning something I, I didn't expect I think I think one thing is you know like you started Casper you know actually focusing on solving the right problem yes that's that's what I'm doing every day but I think one thing that really sort of sparked some ideas in my mind was what's the thing you said you know like about you know. How about I think you you mentioned a call center or call service or something like that. But I think you know as a you know because I, I in my intro I said I'm a classically trained interaction designer, right? So that's my toolbox. But actually, actually enhancing the the sort of user experience or overall customer experience with things that isn't part of the design toolbox is probably not something uh, I do every day, right? And and you know installing a mirror, you know. Maybe just putting putting a phone number right. Uh, I, you know, have a tendency to always wanting to solve things through design or even just UI design. Um, so I think that that's quite interesting. Um, and also, yeah, uh, I think it's very important to talk. And also, as you said, you know, the perceived value versus the actual value. I don't want to lie to my users, but but uh, but I can I can sort of I can help them sort of introduce a couple of extra steps just to sort of you know. Uh, get the you know get them sort of install the feeling that things are in motion right even though they they probably aren't uh, some stuff like that so there's some some quite interesting things there to um to move on with um one thing one example that, that i constantly go back to is, is is somewhere where i think design solved it i mean we're working with with also with a lot of sort of logistics and shipping and i think you know ordering a package from from a from a, from a web shop and having it delivered with with Postnoir here in Copenhagen, for example, it's not always a great delivery experience, but uh, but it's often a quite good sort of communication experience. It might be that your your package takes forever to be delivered, not very long distance, but at least you're sort of notified about where it is to some extent, right? It could always be better, but I think that's a quite nice example of 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 a not optimal service that is supported. You know, by digital and communication in a way that you sort of get a, a sort of a, a okay user experience overall. Um, yeah, so thanks a lot. Thank you for that, Rasmus. So moving on to your question, Casper, do you want to give us an introduction to that and a bit of context about where it comes from? Yes, of course. Um, so I was just wondering about like what should my uh, question be, right? And then I I just. It, it came back to like the the title of the the, the podcast, right? So, what is actually an, an exceptional user experience? Because in my head, it could be a lot of different things. So, so that's basically my 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 initial thought here to to hear, uh, and maybe also to to learn from the other guys here. Um, uh, what is it? What it means in your context, and 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 why? Um, so, yeah, I don't know, uh, Thorbjorn, if you want to start. Uh, giving your perspective. I, I would love to. Thank you very much, Kisper. So uh, it's like I've, I've been thinking about all of your questions, actually, because I think they were really, really, really nice. And this one was uh, particularly difficult, I think, uh, because you're asking, you know, a fundamental. <laughs> and it's like something I should know the answer to uh, by heart. And I think that the answer is depending on the goal. That it's like, what do you want the user to achieve, and what like what experience are you going for? Um, and one of my designers uh, called Oleg, uh, we just like usually in our design team we give each other uh, it's like design talks, and he was talking about friction, and I think friction is a is an interesting topic to talk about specifically when it comes to enhancing a user experience by adding friction. And so he had this very nice airport example where I can't remember the, the, the name of the airport, but they had a lot of complaints about people waiting for their bags uh, to arrive, right? So they would go to the bags and the way that they solved it was that they just moved the airplanes longer away from where the bags were collected, right? So now they had to walk longer, but when they came there, the bags were there. So, so that you could argue that that's a worse user experience, but but if you look at it from, you know, the the end experience or the memory that the user have of that experience is experiences, is that it actually came out to be a little bit better because of that friction added and all of the complaints went away, and I think that that kind of 
you know, the, the, the obvious answer would be is like we do a, a, a usability measurement and then we like we, we, we measure is like how memorable, how uh, uh, easy is it to learn, how many errors do I make, what's, you know, the pleasurable thing. And then you have, you know, usability score. Uh, you can also go from an emotional point of view where you say it's like we want our users to really – really remember this experience right uh, and and to come back to it so so for me i think defining a, an exceptional user experience is is comes from the definition that you have first right so if you it's like the way i like to think about it when i add for example analytics data is i would say what do i what's my what's my desired outcome like what's the value that we want to bring and then the second question i ask myself is how do i measure that and if i can if i can clearly define what do i perceive as success and then how do i manage like measure that success then i can actually somehow or somewhat define an exceptional user experience i guess that's kind of my rough explanation of it but but because i think it's just like an excellent question that all designers should ask themselves like multiple times a year at least uh, because it's it's uh, it's a good thank you for that question by the way Kesper. thank you for that thought beyond as well i think that was a very good comprehensive answer but like you say you can't it's hard to give a specific unless jan Ulrich, have you got a, a way of defining that I actually think, Torbjörn, that was a very interesting uh, answer because it's completely opposite to, to, to the thought process that I, uh, you know, had. I, I went classical textbook, what uh, what defines um, uh, exceptional user experience? Well, you know, it's about um, efficiency and reducing friction. Uh, it's about, it's about um, making tasks, you know, uh, ensuring that your users can quickly and efficiently uh, get to the information or outcome that they want. It's it's about having information presented in clear and understandable manners. And 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 then you you come here and you start saying, well, we just made the the walk longer. We 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 engage them otherwise. Uh, and I think that's a perfect example of 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 how you need to think outside of the box and how and how. Um, uh, the most obvious solution, because the obvious solution when you when you think about the airport scenario would be to uh, look at the workflow of people handling your luggage. How quickly can we get the luggage from the plane to the conveyor belt, right? That would be, because that is a problem that we're looking at, um, except that's not necessarily the best or the most cost-efficient way to handle it. So I think I think your your example, Tobian, is... It's an amazing one, uh, uh, and and contrasts heavily to to my initial thought of, you know, there's aesthetics, there's efficiency, there's uh, information architecture, there's these all these um, textbook, um, uh, you know, definitions that I wanted to go into. <laughs> but uh, but thank you, uh, that was a, that was a good reflection, Tobian, <clears throat> and a great question, by the way. And then Rasmus, what's your opinion on all of this? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, even though this was the sort of shortest question of the day, I'm, I sort of share the experience of the other participants here that it was one that sort of uh, got my, my brain mostly sort of all wrinkled. So so the thing is, like, where I started was it was this very sort of Jakob Nielsen-like foundational approach, like it's something that solves an actual problem. And then I came up with examples of of experiences that solves an actual problem in an annoying way, and there's so many. Um, <laughs> so then that's why I sort of, okay, but that's 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 actually not enough. Um, so I, I think what I ended up with was very simple, like something that solves an actual problem in a memorable way, or sort of in a way that actually sort of moves me. And and one of the one of the, the examples I, I thought of was. Um, was a uh, was Squarespace right building building websites. There's a, there's there's so many ways to to build websites without without knowing how to how to make a website right. Um, Squarespace is, is one of the is one of the tools one of the experiences that that constantly sort of uh, creates an emotional connection helps you like understand the little wins all the time right and and the thing is like in the end I get a website I could have gotten that in in, in other ways but. But but Squarespace does it in a way that makes me want to come back to it. I think that's the that part, like you know, 
creating that 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 little sort of little little connection, which obviously also requires that you truly sort of understand your your target user. Um, but creating creating experiences where where you know if it's an analytics dashboard, right? An analytics dashboard you look forward to going to, not only because you're interested in the data, right, but also just because it sort of makes you feel good going to that uh, dashboard. I think apps that that do this exceptionally well, these simple apps like you know to do apps or weather apps, these very very sort of hardcore single purpose apps, they have to do this to to an extent like like no one else, right? Because they they only have this one thing. So I think something about you know tying that the the more uh, more sort of soft soft aspects of our our trade to the to the actual actual problem solving i think is 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 needed to create the exceptional user experience just getting the job done i mean i think just the, you know the expectations of how digital products work today is just just too high right you need to you need to go go beyond that yeah so that's that's where i ended up with it um, but i'm looking forward to uh, to the the man behind the question casper if you have <laughs> more life to share on this yeah, thanks. Thanks for all the good uh, answers. Um, I, there was, it was my intention to get you out of your content zone in this one and maybe like taking a step back and like, yeah, having a more like, uh, what do you call it, um, existential kind of question around why do we actually work with what we work with, right? Um, but to me, it's also like, as, as some of you have, have mentioned, that it's 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 more than, yeah, it's just a function. Uh, it needs to be more than also like just usability. It's the full package. It's the full full um, experience, right? So so in, it's when you can uh, either elevate it to be something that you emotionally connect to or like love, basically use, or you can create an, an, uh, an experience that is uh, as seamless so you don't even recognize that you're using it, right? So, so and in order to do that, I think it's very important that you understand your users, right? So, so it all comes back to having that foundation of knowing their needs and knowing their mental models and where they use your, um, in, in my case, product, right? So I could maybe bring an example of like, that also led me to this question, like, because we have we have a lot of uh, frustrated users that that um, that use our product. Like one of our, our functionalities is that you have to track your time, and in order to track your time, you have to remember to do it at the right time, right? So uh, when you like before you start your shift and after you end your shift, right? And um, people forget to do that, and uh, you could say like, okay, that's so easy. You just have to start and stop a timer, right? But you also have to to remember the context that you that you uh, your users are using your product in, right? So, if we we did some investigation before Christmas and like uh, how long do they actually use or like interact with our product in their whole daily day, right? And it's less than one percent of their uh, their shift that they actually use our product. So that's easily something that you forget when you have like a full company working on only that feature, only that that uh, user, uh, user, what do you call it, you have to be done, right? So uh, you tend to forget that. And that's why we sometimes need to like step this back, step back and, and really understand like, why is it actually that we have this feature? Is it even relevant anymore? How do we, how do we solve it? And in this case, how do we actually get them to remember to stop the timer again and clock out when they're done with their shift? Um, and uh, in this case, like we, we also, we also uh, had the opportunity to tap into some some un, untapped technology possibilities that we have today that we didn't have when we introduced the feature. So so we're actually gonna gonna look into using uh, live activities. So I don't know if you know uh, when you're waiting for your food you ordered on Vault or when you parked your car that you always have this timer or you have the status uh, right in your face when you look at your phone, right? Um, and that 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 uh, that is something that we are we're gonna gonna go for in order to remind them to 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 punch out and have this urgency uh, element to like oh I forgot something I I quickly press this and then I I can end my shift basically um, so yeah that was that was. That was the small thing that started the big question, so to speak. Perfect. It's good to see such a great example about where that came from there as well. So has anyone else got anything they'd like to add on this this huge sort of existential question, as we said? No, all looking good. 
well, in that case then, Thorbjorn, do you want to introduce yours to us and give us some context? Oh, yeah. So this is uh, actually, uh, now I'm scared if, like, when I have to summarize it myself. I'm asking this because I don't know. <laughs> so the question is, uh, what do you do in order to handle the discovery and research of UX in an agile environment, right? So the whole emphasize, in, if you go with the design thinking model, where you want to really understand your use of the problems, like what both Casper's like, what everyone's been talking about, like how do you understand the value? How do you get objective about measuring stuff that needs some preparation? Whereas, you know, if you look at Scrum as a framework, then typically it just goes like, let's just go and do stuff. And that's the general approach that people have when they when they when they work with that and if you read literature it's the same thing right they kind of encourage that kind of behavior but um yeah let me just uh, end it there and then uh, just ask like how do you approach that in in your like do you approach it uh, and if so how uh, do you, you know do that i don't know like did, I, maybe i made it so i'll be quiet now <laughs> please <laughs> help me that's it Hopefully, Jan Ulrich can start us off with that. What What's your take on this? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, and one that's, that's I think, a little bit difficult to answer simply because we have a lot of different clients and each client requires a different uh, approach. But one of the <clears throat> typical ones that we do is we, we, we keep very close contact and open communications channels with the stakeholders and very early on in the process, we do specific interviews to make sure that we uh, we really understand users, we really understand the problem before we start bringing it uh, into you know. So we operate with Scrum, uh, and we want to. We uh, most of the employees want to go do right away. <clears throat> uh, so we make sure that in the initial uh, part of the process, we get as much information as we can, and then we uh, ensure that product owners, uh, UXers, and testers as well are all kept very closely in the loop a lot of cross-functional planning and and uh, meetings everyone's in on the dailies everyone's in on the sprints uh, and the refinements to ensure that every perspective is being brought in and considered um because because you know we often operate with with very tight deadlines um and a lot of different stakeholders so ensuring that uh, UXers are kept in the loop from the very beginning uh, is is absolutely crucial in order to have success because we often don't have time to do uh, you know months of of uh, iterations and prototyping before we we start doing. So actually, what we what we often do is very early on in the process we do a bunch of mockups that we then present to the stakeholders to ensure that the problems that they're describing is actually what we're what we're hit what we're that we're hitting the nail on the head <clears throat> and then we we take it to the go doers <laughs> and then we then we start running then the sprint begins <clears throat> that's great insight there jan Ulrich. i think i can see thorbjorn nodding in the background it looks like the the cogs are turning from that i say i've got the thumbs up yep <laughs> yep thank you very much yep. and what's your take on that then rasmus um yeah well uh excellent question i think um i think there's, there's there's sort of two sides to this i think one thing is the is the is a sort of practical thing of implementing discovery and research in an agile team um i think the the other part of it is uh, is sort of more sort of a cultural part or, or sort of educating you know making making the agile team understand why they should care about this um and i think i actually i think i'll start with the with the last one because I, that's the one that's most dear to me i think to to make it sort of to take a step back the reason i'm not just starting on 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 uh, on designing a product or feature or flow or something from day one is because I don't know, right? I'm not doing discovery and research for fun, right? Or because I, I was taught it uh, in school or something, right? I'm doing it because it's the only way to figure out if I'm if I'm designing the right thing. And I think if you can get that understanding into developers, right? I mean, to make them basically understand, okay, we can start quicker on, on building the wrong thing and then you can just rebuild it again in two weeks. I mean, that's sort of putting it harsh, right? But but the thing is like, I think there's some 
something sort of wrong, sort of culturally wrong, if this is something that lies, is, is a responsibility of the designer, right? Because it's not a design discipline, it's a product building discipline, basically. So I think that's, I mean, um, I think if, if, you, if you manage to get that as a shared responsibility where you as a UX professional would be sort of the prime contributor, um, but you know you also need a developer in on this. You need a product manager or anything. Then, then I think you know. Then, then I think you can you can really really get somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, that's I. I uh, you know, like you have you have something to say about this? I can see. I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanna I I just wanna uh, echo what you say and really stress the fact that. That, that you're absolutely right, uh, that you can build it and you can rebuild it again in, in two weeks uh, when we know better. Uh, what we what we found uh, early on and, and what I, I, I hope and think most of you you know is, um, you know, we had a saying when I was in, was in, when I was in the banking sector saying, we always have time to do it uh, over, but we never have time to do it right. Uh, and what that means is basically we end up spending a bunch of money unnecessarily. So having the the UXers in very early on in the process and have them, as you said, being being uh, um, almost lead on this and and taking all the necessary steps in order to do discovery and research can save you a lot of money. Even if it looks like a cost sink early on, it it absolutely can save you money later on. Jump straight back in, Rasmus. I can see you ping ponging here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just I just actually just had an example yesterday. So fresh, fresh example from a from sort of follow up user interview. So there was a first user interview where one of our one of our customers had some, you know, some requests of functionality, things they they want to work better. And then we took it back and we thought about it. And we, yeah, okay, we 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 think we have a solution, but it's gotten it's, it's very very expensive. Let's dig a bit deeper. And you know, actually that's second interview revealed to me what the actual problem was right and from that we could start we could start sort of um, you know uh, brainstorming ideas and and sort of the great story here is that that the solution we're going to end up doing is going to take a couple of hours for front-end developer the other project we had in mind was like weeks and weeks of work for the full development team um, it's not a very big development team but still right it's a lot of work it would be the entire company and I think one thing it is of course makes makes me happy right but it's also something that makes the people who are who are sort of responsible for for financials very very happy with these stories um because and that's why that's when it gets sort of to be a shared responsibility because it's also a shared win right it's nothing about design anymore yeah that was that was my my five cents <laughs> thank you rasmus and casper what do you think then yeah, I think I think it's an, a great question uh, um, because it's something I've struggled with all throughout my career, basically, to to figure out how to how to fit it all in in the sprint, right? Um, and we're also working in Scrum, and we also did that at, at my fault. Actually, all of my uh, career I've been working in Scrum, um, and um, it's about to be like able to break things down it's basically the same like when you have when you have uh, the technical things that you also have to break it down into to to more smaller iterative um uh cycles um and then from my experience we have had to kind of like create some kind of dual track right so in order for not having too much pressure on the designer and like say okay now in the start of the sprint the designers are really 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 uh, uh under pressure they need to deliver something fast so the developers are not waiting for something then we need to have this dual track um discovery delivery dual track up and running right and it's 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 not easy uh it's actually pretty hard to to establish that and like at some point you have to like okay now we're starting something and then then we have to basically catch up and like make the make the roadmap like like say like an example could be like we just got a new focus uh, in plan day um where we kind of like as an experiment took three teams from the from the engineering team uh, or engineering uh, department and put that into an uh, incubation sprint whereas as we had everybody on board we had um we had uh, all the knowledge we had from product insights, sales, customer support, uh, like uh, shared, so everybody was on the same page. Um, and then we we chose some some hypothesis to go for, right? 
Um, but that also meant like, okay, we, we actually ended up solely focusing on one thing and uh, forgot all about the rest, right? So when we sped up uh, and, and like say, okay, now we, we know what to do in the, in the first sprint, then then what what happens after right so in, in that case we needed to to catch up uh, and i still think that's that's one of the hardest things to like keep keep thinking enough ahead but still also having something to work on in sprint as a designer right um yeah i don't know if that's something you also struggle with in in, in your end Here's your dreaded moment, Thorbjorn. you've got to summarize this now without an answer <laughs> yes uh, to answer your question first, Gaspar, is like, absolutely. I think it's, uh, if I understand, it's like, oh, how do I, uh, so, so, Jan Ulrich, it sounded like you guys are doing the discovery part outside of the sprint. So you collect all of the information and then you start the sprint, right? Uh, I suppose you're talking about culture. In my, it's like you have a discovery culture, a, a, a culture about like, how do we actually understand? And I think that made me think, it's like draw lines back to the examples I had is if you don't understand, then your immediate conclusion would typically be to go for some technical solution to solving a practical problem rather than a user problem. And I think that that's very, that's what I, that's what I thought when I, when I, when I heard your, and, and Casper is like, I was like, I've had the exact same thing. It was like reading scrum and agile literature. It's like, I always just sit and think it's like, Hey, wait a minute. Where, how, it's like, how, where, where do we fit into this? And I think the reason why I thought about this question was I read, I don't know if you know, Ben Flubia, He's like f- famous uh, project manager who wrote a book recently called How Big Things Get Done. And it's it's an amazing book. Everyone should read it. Uh, and he kind of summarizes the, the, like he says, if you're starting, if if you're building a big house and you just start digging a hole, then convincing people to undig that hole and start in the right location if if you really you know and and to me that's what somehow the agile you know represent is that let's just start digging that hole now um and i tried in the past to kind of just map out and just you know put people in and say all right we have the three amigos like a product manager a designer and an engineer sitting down <laughs> and just thinking about <laughs> thinking about uh you know emphasizing understanding the customer understand the problem because otherwise you can't come up with just parking the plane a little bit further away if you don't understand it and i think and then just putting the cost on that like if if they are sitting there for three weeks it's going to cost the same as just being in production mode for one day i'm just and it's like putting those numbers against each other typically you know, uh, will make people understand it. I find it more difficult to make people do it, if that makes sense. Uh, and it's like that goes back to your, you know, cultural problem, Rasmus, uh, of if it's not part of the culture, then you can scream and yell all you want, but people will understand it. They will say, yes, you said it a million times. It's like getting your children to do stuff that they don't really want to do because you designed that experience wrong. And then they're just, you know, sort of really mad at you because dad, uh, but it's like, it's the same thing in, in many ways. Right. Um, I'm not calling my colleagues for children, but I'm just saying, I, I, I don't believe in adults. Uh, I don't know if I summarized it. I just, I, I, I thank you for all of these answers. It's like, they really put, things in perspective for me so thank you very much it's a it's a challenge that we will keep someday solve and, and we are here in this company really trying to solve it so thank it you. was good to see that everyone had great inputs on that there and i think everyone yeah. like you pointed out thorbjorn they came from a different perspective yes on, on how to tackle that problem so yeah that, that was a really great discussion around that has anyone got anything else they'd like to add to this this part of the discussion i think i'll just you know just to, to sort of round it off one thing i mean also have to understand i mean i'm in a company where we're i think we're, we're 25 people right it's a it's a new startup so, so it's obviously different than, than some of your other guys set up but 
But one thing that we really keep core to our DNA is, is you know, doing things that doesn't scale, right? And that's about, you know, that's about everything from disposable prototypes and, and but also also making, you know, making products that are or experiences that are very sort of very reliant on, on manual work to make things come together, right? Because that's how we figure out one thing if, if we're creating something valuable, but also understanding like the sort of intricate moments of, of, of the flow and everything. I think that's, again, a cultural thing, but you have to, you know, it's very hard in the middle of a, a sort of a agile heartbeat, a year, whatever you call it, to suddenly ask sort of experienced developers to start building throwaway prototypes, right? Because there's, I mean, there's a whole different mindset. So I, so I think really it's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a long path and, and really understanding like what is it that you you want to get to yeah 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 and actually so so to some degree we actually so to add to that Osmos, because we went from a handful of people starting this i don't know eight years ago i think and now we are more than 300 people and it's like have huge teams and 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 all of it happened like i you know i remember sitting and we were just a few people and then all of a sudden there was just people everywhere and i don't know everyone's names and it's like crazy uh and and that whole scale thing and that culture change that happens there rapidly because before it was easy right we were just a handful we could talk about it we would figure it out and now we just have to move a giant ship in a direction right and it really it's like that it's like uh, I, I think you're it's like you're making re- a lot of sense uh, thank you finally <laughs> <laughs> now stage two is to get your wife to say the same thing <laughs> oh, everyone laughing on mute in the background they would be there forever doing that thank you very much for your insights on that topic there and we're on to the last question, last but not least. Jan Ulrich, do you want to introduce yours and give us a bit of context about where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my question is, what strategies have you found effective in gaining buy-in from stakeholders who may not fully understand the value of UX design? Uh, and we've actually touched a little bit on this already, Torbjorn, you said it beautifully before when you when you, when you uh, talked about the three weeks versus one day in production. And and one of the things that so so just to give a bit of of, of context is is um, when we're out about our many different clients, uh, it's not always easy to convince that we need a team of you know X size, including testers and uh, UXers and designers, and you know the cost quickly runs up, and they're like, um, why do you what's a UXer? How do you why do you need why are you telling me you need two of those? <laughs> Um, um, and, and so, so what strategies have you guys found effective in, in convincing, uh, um, potential clients or, or internal stakeholders or whatever it may be, um, that this is, this is a worthwhile investment. Do you want to kick us off with that Rasmus? Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, one thing is, this is again, good question and, 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 you know, something, something you have to, to keep doing, I think, um, as a designer, keep convincing people about the value of what you do. I think I think there's a there's a difference between you know internal stakeholders and clients, but but that's good because I again have like two sides of this. I think um, I think one thing is like, and that's probably more sort of um, aimed at you know clients or, or or maybe less invested stakeholders, right? Could be a could be a, a CEO that doesn't doesn't see the value of it. But I think you know again to sort of help help people understand that that good ux design is maybe about you know it's about risk management or something right i mean that you know good ux design can can sort of mitigate risks such as as you know dissatisfied users or high bounce rates or you know uh, potential loss of customers or something that you know very sort of these are these are like the hardcore business metrics that they were looking for so again like moving the conversation to something that that everyone understands um that you know the reason why we're putting a, a sort of ux designer on this project is is actually because we we believe that we can you know have a sort of longer customer life cycle or something i mean in that sense um but i think that 
what I usually do, uh, or not usually, what I always do is I, I try to sort of come back to you know what is it that 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 got me hooked on 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 sort of the UX design disciplines, and you know so whether it's workshops or design sprints or prototyping, but especially like your know, user interviews and and testing, I think if you if you if you can actually show people like what what you can get out of a day's work. Of you know brainstorming, sketching, and prototyping, and putting it in front of users and having those stakeholders as part of those meetings, I think it's still. I mean, now I've been doing this for a lot of years. It's still mind blowing the value you get out of it and sort of the the experience it is to 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 put users in front of, even though it's just a concept or sort of sort of a, a sketchy mockup or something. That's really where where you can sort of help sort of educate um, educate stakeholders. Um, that's uh, that's of course the, the the softer side of it. I think again the sort of more concrete side is like you know showcasing the return on investment of UX, but that I don't think anyone solved that truly yet. I think we're all trying to do it, but it's 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 a tough one at least. I very um, much agree. Uh, but uh, but um, actually to go back to to relating this to your question, Rasmus. Um, so one of the things that that uh, we've had a lot of success with here at Capacity is so being as AI focused as we are, we've been developing um, an AI chatbot that we've had a lot of success with. And one of the things that it's 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 supposed to also do is to help alleviate some of the operational limitations, right? So so it's very easy to sit in front of someone uh, who doesn't necessarily understand the um, value of UX. But to translate this, uh, the chatbot into you know tangible, measurable outcomes that resonate within their specific organizations and and their their KPIs. So if we're saying operations and you have a chatbot, well, maybe you reduce the load of incoming calls um, simply because now they can get the information very quickly. Maybe maybe the uh, the AI enables them to. Um, Give a better uh, customer service. Maybe it feeds the uh, these the uh, person receiving the call with the information that they need as it's being discussed on the phone. Uh, and that's one of the that scenario and and you know painting those pictures and relating it to internal KPIs uh, and and you know um, discussing the business value. It's very easy to translate in some cases. <laughs> Definitely not in all, but 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 um, uh, it's. Yeah, just related to your question, the operational part is is sometimes very uh, a very convincing argument. And what are your thoughts for this, Casper? I think I think it's uh, in in line with what we already uh, discussed towards this. Like, uh, I think some of what you said, you know, Rick, in terms of tangibility, I think that's definitely something that um, that's often hard to to make it tang- tangible, right? Um, because like internal stakeholders often like they look at numbers right they don't like that's the most important thing it's not that the the user have a good experience right so so i think i think for us and maybe also when i think about it as a designer like we have a kind of like a superpower as designers as creating a common language um to kind of like bridge the gap between numbers and feelings so to speak or experience right um and um and especially if like you're into more like visual design you also have this uh superpower of making more like visual communication so like exemplifying uh showing okay as Rasmus also said like this is this is a prototype it's tangible right or this is the this is actually the the user journey we have mapped that and stuff like that and like to to explain that we understand the user we are gonna we're gonna do something that's gonna help them and thereby it's gonna so like the red numbers are gonna turn black or whatever. That's that's gonna mean like more on a business uh, side of things, right? Uh, so I think at least from my perspective, it's it's around creating this common language, using your superpower as a designer to to understand. Also, maybe not uh, tech or maybe not business, but actually have a an understanding of both um to provide the right arguments and evidence that this is the right thing to do. We have to do this. So basically, creating small business cases with the tangibility that lies in in a business case, right? Thank you very much, Casper. And I feel like I can see the thoughts in your head there, Thorbjorn. What are you thinking? I'm I'm just completely swimming here, uh, <laughs> trying not to drown. Uh, so I'm definitely going to listen to this uh, part again. 
uh, because these are some really intelligent stuff being said. Um, I th- so to tell a little bit about, like, I'm I'm one of these lucky people who get to work together with some of my heroes, right? So the head of engineering who is doing engineering, we started out together and we always just hit it off, right? Uh, and he's the most, you know, smart, clever person. And he is like, f- on a fundamental level, understands design. So some of these problems that you're mentioning here didn't use like originally weren't a problem and now they're actually starting to become a problem so i'm sitting in the same kind of thing is like how do i make people not only uh, management or or stakeholders understand the value of ux but it's like general people and i think it's like what i'm what i'm struggling with right now is making people understand the difference between ui and ux because in their mind what happens is they say, well, they go, you know, to to your. I can't remember who said this, but but the the operational arguments you said that is always stronger than the perceived value you get out of. And I guess the way that I'm trying to break it down is if you look at it from a a functional perspective like functional design perspective right you have a problem you can make a functional it's like it will always work you will never have a situation where a functional solution won't work it's like it's just going to be a shit user experience and and in the other one where you go from a design perspective it always gets perceived as a little bit floaty or theoretical because that's what it is right we're taking something that everyone will know will work. It will be cost-effective. It will be fast. And then you come up with a suggestion where you say, well, wait a minute. Let's try to understand the user's real problem. Let's try to solve the problem for the user because that's what functional design doesn't do is that it lets the user solve the problem. But what we want as designers is well, we want to solve the problem for them, right? That's the true you know, underlying, you know, idea behind what is like, what do we like, what is, what, what do we want to do, right? And so you get to this point where you come up with a theory of if you do this, then that might be a better use experience, but we don't truly know until we measured it and saw the impact of that thing, right? And the dis- whole discovery part and the understanding part and the emphasized part is just there to qualify that idea, right? And so to your, to your point here is now you have a situation where someone is measuring, I already came up with a solution. I All you have to do is just add that fucking button in the interface and everything's like everyone, all of the stakeholders will be happy. Uh, while at the same time, you you understand as a designer, this is a catastrophe. It's like this is going to be really, really bad user experience. It's not going to work. Uh, but all you can do is, is you know, fluff it uh, in their opinion. It's like in our opinion, we know <laughs> better, right? And so to make that convincing speech, I think Oscar was in Casper as well is like, the it's like showing something tangible without showing pretty UIs because you can convince it's like all you have to do is just make something look pretty and people go like oh, nice uh, and that's like a, in my mind a trap I so I don't know it's like I really now I feel I'm drowning I yeah. <laughs> Ross will save me. <laughs> Of course, um, yeah. But well, the thing is, there's just uh, there's just some other things that are sparking out of this, which is like let's let's continue on the example. We just put the button there, right? So yeah. the reason why someone wants the button there is because they want people to click it, right? We we know that they're not going to click that button because it, you know we don't know you know if they even want that button. We don't know if they're even in the right context. All this stuff, right? So what will what will be the end of that story is that that you know uh, they'll end up scrapping the project because not enough people clicked the button right so the mvp didn't prove itself right and and i think and the the sad thing there is i, I sadly I, I can't give you get your hopes up here because my experience is that that's where we have to go and do sort of the you know go the extra mile sort of behind the scenes right because 
because there is no sort of single argument that will win this um, only if you attended the same school or classes as, as we did right um, the only thing that would actually win this is that you know if we if we're sort of able to to, to make that make that prototype that explains you know how would this how would this work you know if we spend more time sort of on the flow more time in the design right to actually to actually make the stakeholders understand that if we really want people to click this button right we have to think a little bit harder than just just placing it there right so and and that's that's one part i mean now i've been in the game for a long time right i still haven't like i still haven't uh, found the key to this right to actually actually this this sort of whole discussion of you know building something you know just enough to prove a point but it's not interesting enough to prove a point right it can functionally prove a point but that that last part where you actually sort of uh, actually uh, use the user experience to sort of to, to get to the target right the best thing i can think of is is, is again sort of involving the involving the, the the ux designers already in the in the sort of goal setting process or, or whatever whatever comes before right um so, um, but this, I, I think, I mean, and there are areas just like there is for, for, for developers and product managers and everything. There are sort of areas of our work where there's nothing to do but work a little bit harder to be able to sort of make our point on Monday morning. Um, but then, uh, then there's, there's luckily so much other, other stuff that is really, really fun about our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Rasmus, can you, I don't like that answer. Can you rephrase it and just lie to me? I would, <laughs> I would like that better. I think sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll have a developer saying they need to use two weeks to refactor something that is already working, right? That's also a very, very tough sell, but they have to yes. do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. That, that and you at least have to be very, very, very clear about what the potential benefits what is the business case of, of uh, you know committing a developer a back-end developer or front-end developer for two full weeks to, to do this then the business case needs to be pretty clear um, but I think they are all very very interesting and great reflections uh, thank you all for your answers uh, and, and and I'm glad that it's not just me who hasn't solved this <laughs> that it's a continuous uh, I don't want to say struggle, but at least uh, exercise that we all have to, to 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 keep coming back to. I think that's a good point to sort of round off the question there that, like you say, it's not something that's solved and not something that has been solved by anyone that I've spoken to in my role either in terms of getting buy-in from stakeholders. So if anyone does have the answer, then please reach out because I'm sure you'll be much loved on this podcast if you can solve it for everybody else. <laughs> Has anyone got anything else they'd like to add or any more questions just before we round it off all looking good well in that case then i'd just like to thank everybody for their participation and for all of your insights today that was i don't know another word other than very insightful and it was great to hear all of your opinions and bouncing ideas off each other and seeing how it can improve your current view on your own questions as well and then just to finish this if you are an industry leader listening to this and you would like to join us on a future episode please contact me on sean.thompson at evolution-nordics.com or reach out to me on linkedin thank you all very much and we'll see you on the next episode